as we come together this morning, there's something I want to bring out to your attention, and it's this, there's something that holds Christians together the world over, something that's not created by a government entity, something that's not sustained by practices and policies of, of bureaucrats anywhere, something that it holds Christians together that, that brings a unity in, in, in the bonds of the service that God has called us to. There's an unusual alliance amongst Christians. There are no generals to command the Christians of the world. There are no czars to dictate to the people what they should and should not do. There are no political systems to regulate Christians in their life activities and life pursuits. There's only shepherds. Only shepherds given by God to tend the sheep. And the great shepherd, he walks amongst us. That is the regulation of Christians. That is the, uh, the, the dictation that God gives to us is through a gentle voice of the Holy Spirit as the shepherd himself walks, among, walks among us. Now consider for just a second. Consider what happens when one becomes a Christian. There's a lot of things that happens, but three things that I want to bring out today that happens when you became a Christian, when I became a Christian. The first thing is we are placed under the direction of the Word and the Holy Spirit. We are placed under the direction of the Word and the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says it this way. Now hope does not disappoint. Oh, my friend, when you got saved, you had hope, didn't you? When you got saved, you understood that the way you was going in this world and the things you were doing in this world would not satisfy the righteous requirement of God. And you cast yourself upon the care that he had for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And you surrendered to the fact that the only thing that could save you was Jesus. You had hope. And that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, there's an abiding presence of God within you now. You know that you are saved because of the blood of Jesus, but you know that you are being saved because of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. And that hope that we had in salvation doesn't ebb and flow away. It stays with us. So there's that uh, direction that we've been given of the Word and the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But also, when one becomes a Christian, he has died to this world he has died to this world let me say that one more time just to be clear when you become a christian you have died to this world you're no longer living for this world you're dead to this world and this world's dead to you that reminds me of some mafia boss you're dead to me well you should say that to the world to the world, you should say, you're dead to me. I'm not living for you, and you're not here for me. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things of this earth. How much of this earth consumes our thinking? 
Where am I going to live? What am I going to wear? Who am I going to hang around with? What parties am I going to go to? What movies am I going to go see? How much time am I going to be on social media? How much money am I going to make? And how can I make the most of it that I can? How much of the Christian's time do we actually take off of this world and put on Christ? Or how much of the Christian's time do we actually put on this world for those things that will die and perish and, and rot away one day? That's a question for all of us to consider in our own life. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He has died to this world. The third thing I'll bring up, considering he has died to this world, is Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus by whom the world has been crucified to me you died to me say it again because that's what the world needs to hear from you you're not living for the world the world's not here for you the third thing he lives for eternity so when you're placed When you become a Christian, you're placed under the direction of the Word and the Holy Spirit. You've died to this world, and you have to understand you're living for eternity. Eternity started the moment you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Eternity became bound in your heart, and you became bound in eternity, and nothing will separate you from that eternity that God has promised you of life. And life is not about the things you accumulate or the abundance of things you have. Life is about the fact that, that, that God has given something to you that you did not possess before he gave it to you, and, and that means that that eternity that he's given to you will never perish or never rot away this means that the world this present age really has no bearing on your life if your life in christ can be changed by the temporal things of this world then do you really have life in christ you don't because the life in christ that he's given you This world really has no bearing on it. It doesn't change your identity of who you are. It doesn't change your destiny of where you're going. It it might cause some heartaches and heartbreaks as you go through this world, but your life that's been given to you is secure and complete in Christ. This world can't stop it. It can't cancel it, and it can't change what God has given to you in Christ Jesus. Not one bit. But we often get so focused on our possessions and our power and our prestige in this world that we forget to live life and life to its fullest in Christ. Let's take a moment just to think about those things that Christ has given us. And when you see those things that Christ has given you, you might say, well, if nothing in this world has any bearing on my life in Christ, Why would we as a church or the people of the Southern Baptist Convention pay any attention to critical race theory or intersectionality? Why would we actually want to pay any attention to any of that whatsoever if our life in Christ is the fullness of who we are and nothing outside of us has any bearing on that life in Christ in eternity? Why would we even give it a moment's notice? Let me answer that. We're not looking at critical race theory and intersectionality 
because of our interaction with the world. Let me just put that there first. We're not looking at these things because of our interaction with the world in order for us to have more amicable relations with the world or in order for us to be a part of the conversation of the world. That's not why we're looking at this. We're looking at this because, oh dear Christian, you and I are so prone to accepting and receiving the things that the world throws at us and bringing it back into the church that we need to be the ones safeguarding ourselves against those things that Satan would use to divide us and destroy us and dissuade us from being what God has called us to be that God Satan would use those things to actually rob us of the life that he has in Christ for us we are the recipients of this understanding of intersectionality and critical race theory because we need to be the ones protecting ourselves from what the world will do we are the culpable ones in this matter people are always prone to falling back to the world's ways. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. This will be the only section of Scripture I have you turn to today, but we will be going through a ton of Scripture, and I want you to be taking note of those Scriptures as we go through those Scriptures. But in Colossians uh, chapter 2, I'm just going to read the first ten verses, but look at primarily two of those verses out of those ten but you being led by the presence of the Holy Spirit as we said number one when you become in Christ that's what happens you can read and understand so let's look beginning in verse one for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea oh and if you do a revelation study and you see the church of Laodicea as the current modern church doesn't that carry a lot more impact with it when Paul writes to the church of Laodicea? And perhaps that might be the right understanding of the churches of Revelation, that we might very well be the Laodicean church. What a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that they're hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches and full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the father and Christ what's Paul saying you have a life in Christ now live it it's the fullness and richness of the assurance of Christ it's the wisdom of God you have a life in Christ now live it don't don't we're going to see in a minute, he's going to say, don't get dissuaded, don't get distracted, don't get distraught by the things of this world. Pay attention to your life in Christ. He goes on to say, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Pay attention to your life in Christ. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the 
basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Don't get robbed of your life in Christ. He goes on to say, For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Who's the head of all principality and power? That's a question you can answer. That's not a rhetorical question. It's a question that you know the answer to, and some of you answered it very well, but I want the whole congregation to understand this. Who is the head of all principality and power? Who's the head of all principality and power? Is there anything that's beyond the domain of control of God? None. Why we worry so much? It's not... I hope because we think that everything out there is going to take over the economy of God. Because Jesus very plainly said that he's going to build his own church. And nothing's going to take that over. Maybe we get fearful because we think we're going to give in to it. And that's what Paul's problem with the church of Colossians was about. Don't give in to those things of the world. Don't bring those things of the world back in to where you are. In verse 4, he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. We're prone to falling back into the world's ways and our own old ways. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9 puts it this way. Do not be carried away by various and strange doctrines. In, in, in the second part of that verse, he says, For it is good that the, that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied. Then this is going to be the end of all of those who are chasing this dream of utopia. Because that's what they think they're doing. The world thinks we're going to set things straight. They have this dream of utopia where the playing field is what they think it ought to be. Here's going to be the end of all of those that have chased these various strange doctrines. They're going to end up in a place called hell. And your heart should break for that. Because they have bought the lie of Satan that you are the ultimate end of yourself. You're the ultimate end of this world. That everything should feed you. Everything should clothe you. Everything should adore you. Everything should be about you. And, and when the world is taking that into the seat of their worship, the focus of their understanding, then the world is going to reject the truth of God because it doesn't suit, it doesn't fit, it doesn't sustain their own ego. And when they reject the word of God, there is a payday someday. And the punishment is going to be separation from God for all eternity in a real place called hell. That's why the church, we have to be careful. 
not to go back to those elementary things of the world that we have stepped away from to establish ourselves on the true food and the true occupation that we're supposed to have, and that's Christ Jesus. And why should we do that? In Hebrews chapter 13, I read to you verse 9, but the previous verse, verse 8, says it this way, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know that when Napoleon Bonaparte was leading uh, an army to crush his enemies, Jesus Christ was still Lord? Do you know uh, that when Franco was crushing people, Jesus Christ was still Lord? Do you know that when the Russian czars and the Red Revolution took place, Jesus Christ was still Lord? Do you know when Hitler went across Europe and Africa with his might and his strength, Jesus Christ was still Lord? And do you know in your day and age, when all of these false idols are being erected and these false various doctrines of destruction are coming down the pike, who's still Lord? Has he changed? The thing we need to be careful for is that we don't either. That we don't yield to the world's ways and cave to the God of our day. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The ways of the world have an open door back into the body of Christ through the unguarded hearts of the believers. And if you're not guarding your hearts, you can buy the lie just like the world's doing and go back down the road of idolatry. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 says it this way, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You know how we turn to those weak and beggarly elements? We don't guard our hearts. We don't surround it with the protection of the Word. We don't walk in step with the Spirit. We start sentences of principle and sentences of persuasion with I think rather than God says. You see, I think is just a slippery slope back to where we were because that's so easy to get back in that old nature that we were saved from. I find it interesting, Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 says, they serve those which are not gods. The aim of worldly service of people can be found in that verse, that the worldly service of people is expressly to create an ideology and a godhood that was not set forth in Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says this way, therefore... Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, with the, which is idolatry. You understand that what the world wants is they want no standards, no law, no God to be accountable to so that I can do my own thing, my own way for my own glory. 
there was a comic strip some years ago named Pogo. Some of you remember Pogo. And one of the strips that went up was this one behind me. And, and as you see on it, it says, We have met the enemy and he is us Christian. That can very well be true about us too. That we go back to that old way. And we become the enemy rather than being on the side that God wants us to be on. And that's walking in his righteousness in his way. But the world can aptly say it this way. That we have created God and he is us. When this whole critical race theory and intersectionality is being reported. From all the talking points of the news media. From all the congressional decision making bodies that are out there. Understand this. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just the world wanting to be God again. Wanting to establish themselves as the end of all end. The means of all means. The way of all ways. And they don't know where else to turn since they've rejected the truth of God. And so they turn to themselves for the answers of life. They have made themselves God all over again. The world is going to do what the world is going to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 says, For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Christian, it's about being right first and foremost with you and yourself before God. And with you and your brothers and sisters in the house of God. It's about you making sure your heart is guarded, your mind is pure, your conscience is clean, and that you're walking in the presence of the will of God. But we cannot accommodate the world to the church. We cannot make the church something that's going to be attractive to the world in hopes to accommodate the world to the church and and bring the world into the church. Uh, And we cannot accommodate our life to the world in order to be able to be, oh, I don't know received by the world because what we're doing is we're literally saying that Christ your wisdom is not enough your ways are not enough and God your knowledge isn't enough to save those that need to be saved and what we're doing is we're saying God we actually know better than you too which is what the world says in their establishment of these things 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, idolatry, the lust of the eyes, idolatry, the pride of life, idolatry, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides Forever. Believers, your choice is this. You either exchange the truth of God for the lies that the world creates, or you receive the truth of God and say, I want to see everything else outside of that as a lie. Your choice is either to live for the eternal and say that God's got a homeland for me over there, that God said when Jesus said he went to prepare a place for me, I believe him. You either live for the eternal. Or you live for the temple. That's your choice. 
believe God or not. Live for the eternal, live for the temporal. What are you going to do in the day that you live in today? So what's the deal with the world's creation of intersectionality and critical race theory? What the deal is, is it's their vain attempt to create a utopia on earth. It's their vain attempt to realize that there's something wrong. And and there's got to be a desire and a decision to make those things right. And in their vain attempt to create a utopia on earth and to level the playing field as they think it needs to be leveled what they look at is what we've done to this point has not worked because there's still poor people in the world there's still homelessness in the world there's still disadvantages in the world there's still racism according to their definition in the world and all these things aren't good and many christians would actually agree with that and so would i they're not good and so they go on to postulate then that what we've been doing has not worked to this point because these things are still there and so when you think about that for just a second what have we been doing that has not worked well it's the establishment of our country on the ideals of god it's the establishment of our country on the ideals that all men were created equal it's the establishment of our country on these uh, precepts that we know have scriptural backgrounds and bearings and if you're understanding is then what we've been doing doesn't work then your retribution in the matter is to try to get rid of everything we've been doing and that's where they are that's why they tear the statues down and that's why history is being rewritten if what we've been doing has not worked according to the their premise and their mindset, then we've got to change what we've been doing. And the best way to do that is get rid of all elements and all reminders of where we've come from and throw them out and try something different. So let's get the statues out of the way. Let's get the history rewritten so that we can start anew. That's what critical race theory and intersectionality are part of the foundation of. You say, well, what are they? There's papers in the back. I'm not going to go over those papers in detail. But just to give you a quick elementary understanding of it, critical race theory is a modern approach to social change developed from a broader critical theory which developed out of Marxism. Critical race theory approaches issues such as justice, racism, and inequality with a specific intent of reforming or reshaping society. In practice, this is applied most exclusively to the U.S. Critical race theory is grounded in several key assumptions. Among these are the followings. And notice how they've changed the truth of God for a lie. Rather than foundational truth, let's have assumptive principles. The assumptions are American government, law, culture, and society are inherently and inescapably racist. Everyone, even those without racist views, perpetuate racism by supporting those structures. The personal perception of the oppressed, their narrative, outweighs the actions or intents of others. Oppressed groups will never overcome disadvantages until the racist structures are replaced. 
it goes on and on. And I'll just highlight one more section that they wrote. It's the fourth paragraph down. From a political standpoint, critical race theory closely assigns with concepts such as communism, Marxism, nationalism, progressivism, intersectionality, and modern versions of social justice. Strictly speaking, the Bible never commands nor forbids Christians regarding specific political parties or philosophies. However, believers are obligated to reject any aspect of a philosophy that conflicts with biblical ideals. Critical race theory is deeply rooted in worldviews that are entirely, entirely incompatible with the Bible. What about intersectionality? What's that? All these are big words. But these big words have devastating consequences when we run down the line of what they are. Intersectionality. Jason, can you get that up on the screen real quick? deals with your life experiences. And in your life experiences, you have certain things you're born with, such as nationality. There might be a disability that comes within your life. Sexuality, are you a male or are you a female? The gender. And do you see why they started having this gender confusion that they began to introduce into it? Because that gives another point of leverage for discrimination and how the playing field needs to be leveled. All of that didn't happen in a closet out of nowhere. P pardon the pun. But it all happened in order to create some kind of systemic change. What's the Bible's answer to this? Do we actually, let's be honest for a second, do we actually have things in our past or things by our birth that we are somewhat prone to think in certain directions? And the answer would be, yeah, we do. I grew up in South Georgia. In South Georgia, there were certain things in my past that gave me the probability of thinking in a certain direction about certain people. But the answer isn't a systemic overtake of government. Because the problem is not really racism. The problem is not really any of the things that they've identified as problems on this chart. Are things wrong in our life that needs to be set right? Are philosophies and politics and people part of the answer, part of the solution, or are they actually part of the problem? Because the actual problem doesn't have anything to do with philosophies, politics, and people. It has to do with my own sin nature. And the only way your sin nature is set right is not by systemic change in a government structure. But by receiving the truth of God and living by that truth, only God fixes the problem. But Christian, hear me. Only God fixes the problem, but only for the person who surrenders to God. So you see the quandary. You surrender to God. He takes that heart of stone, makes it a heart of flesh. He takes your issues of sin, and he begins resolving those with forgiveness. That happened to you. That didn't happen to the world.
And so now you're living a life set apart for the glory of Christ. The world's not. And there begins to become some kind of a conflict that comes from that. Only God fixes the heart of the one who believes Him and follows Him. And that puts your life at odds with the world. And what happens when your life is put at odds with the world? Well, we've been studying Acts. Do you remember what we read in Acts chapter 17 about Jason? For in Acts chapter 17, verse 5, the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. The majority of the world will never be persuaded of the truth of God. And what that does is it creates envy and envy breeds contempt and contempt ends in hate. Why are they envious of you, believer? Why are they envious of you? Because your very presence upsets their worldview. Your very presence confronts them about the fact that they're living life for themselves, sold out for their own glory, and you're not. And they can't stand that. Because you bring them conflict of principles and conflict of priorities. And that's what happened when the gospel was preached. And all of a sudden, the current political, the current religious system that was being sustained by the people was brought in direct conflict with the fact that Jesus just saved you. He just loves you. He saved you for his own glory. Well, no, you've got to live like the rest of the people. No, that breeds envy, which brings contempt, which brings hate. The world is stressing and believers are resting and the world doesn't get it. John chapter 15 verses 18 through 19. If the world hates you, these are the words of Jesus, by the way. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's a reason the world doesn't go along with Christianity. It doesn't serve their purpose. The purpose of getting all that they can, possessing all that they can hold making themselves the God of their own lives. You see, the world in Christ means, uh, the, 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 the church in Christ means that we surrender to the way of God. That's the unusual alliance of the Christian life that's held together without generals to command, without czars to rule, without political systems to regulate. We're held together not by even principles or regulations within our own church. We are held together by one thing and one thing alone, and that is the love of God. Do you know the love of God is the foundational element of everything that we see about God? The love of God is the foundational element of the cross. The love of God is the foundational element of all of salvation. The love of God is the foundational element of making you more 
more into the image of Christ that we call sanctification. The love of God is what everything that we see of God in His Word that is based upon. In John chapter 15, verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. That is the unity that holds us together. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why is it that a black Christian and a Chinese Christian and a Mexican Christian and a Puerto Rican Christian and an African Christian and a Canadian Christian and a Maine Christian can worship together without any disdain for each other? It's because there's something called love. And the love of God is the unity that holds us together without some general telling you you will. Without some politician passing a law that says you will. We just love. Because Christ first loved us. You see, critical race theory and intersectionality replaces God's love. It says we have a standard and a way that's bigger and better than anything else this world has ever seen. But oh, they're so wrong. It replaces God's love. God's love is sacrificial and a serving love that he's demonstrated for us. But critical race theory and intersectionality replaces God's love with self-love, which demands its own way and subjugates others to those Demands. That's why they didn't care if they burnt cities down and tore up economies. Because it was all about self. Because the love of God is absent from the world's ways, there will never be utopia on earth. Try as the world might. Even with all the academicians, philosophies, politics, and power that the world has to move people to their positions, the world will never reclaim Eden. The world will never rebuild utopia. The world will simply end up in destruction as is promised. The foundation of the world is on shifting sand. I'm going to cover one of those today and we'll be done. What we look at with critical race theory has at its epicenter racism. Racism is nothing but shifting sand. Matter of fact, racism is a human construct. That means man created the understanding of racism and the, and, the, and, and the principles of racism that goes hand in hand with it. It's a human construct. When you go to Scripture, the only construct we have in Scripture of, of races, well, there are none. Because there's only one race, and that's the human race. And it's all in Adam. Matter of fact, let's just play that video from AIG. And we'll be bringing ourselves to a close.
we're one race. That's it. We're one race. We're the human race. We're the created race that God created in Adam and in Eve. And through genetics, different shades of colors and beauties of people were created along the history line. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's only one race, white, black, red, yellow, tan. Doesn't matter what shade of brown you are. You are from Adam and in Adam. And the problem is not anybody's color of skin. The problem is the sin that dwells in the heart. And Jesus is the answer to that problem, not only for a black person, but for a white person, for a brown person, for a red person, for a yellow person. It doesn't matter. When somebody gets saved, they become one with the unity of the body in Christ. If we receive the world's definition of racism, that definition will shift according to the world's desire and plan for whatever purpose they have. But when we receive the definition of what racism is in the Bible, we realize there's no racism. There's only people. And they all need salvation. And we don't let it color our reaction to others. So critical race theory intersectionality, if we go according to the scripture's principles, we've got enough right here to answer the questions in our own hearts and for our own ways. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the fact that the work that you've done on the cross is for all people. Our heart breaks that a majority of the people will not, will not receive the truth of your work, but rather try to figure out life for, their, for themselves. And what they end up doing, God, is actually living a life of futility, a life that ends with death and destruction. But God, for the believer that's received the truth of your word, received the abiding of your Holy Spirit, the presence of the unity of the body of Christ, let us not go back to those elementary principles of this world. Let us realize that our fullness and our completeness, that life itself and the fullness of life itself is only found in you. And let us walk with that mind, God, that we will not get sucked into the pattern of unsound doctrine, to the pattern of futility. And God, when we make our mind up to walk that way, you bless it. You pour more into us and deliver us more to your way. And God, we get to walk in calmness while the world is frantically failing around us and father let us be that way knowing that you hold all things in your hands and nothing passes through them but what you've not destined for your glory and it's in jesus name we pray amen go ahead and stand to your feet it's going to be a unusual invitation it's not going to stop with the ending of the song today uh, we're going to go ahead and close out in the normal way we do invitational song. You respond as God leads you, whether to pray for the world that we live in, that they'll hear the truth of the gospel, or whether to pray for your own heart in the midst of the world we live in. You can respond in that way. The unusual part's going to come after we close out. Because after we close out, there's a few things that I know people have questions about, and I just want to be available to talk through some of those questions with each other. And so once we're done here today, if you want to stay a few more minutes and ask about the Southern Baptist Convention, our stance, all that's good. That's fine. 
But right now, what's God speaking to your heart to respond to? Whether it be in prayer for the world we live in or in prayer for yourself, you respond as God's leading you.